Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I'm a firestarter, twisted firestarter. The arson uh, investigation unit will be intervening. <laughs> no, I've got a log burner downstairs, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you're twisted with it. <laughs> Is it a wicker man? <laughs> I ritually burn Edward Woodward every May. <laughs> well, you are in the country now, you know. It's <laughs> true, yeah. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. What album are we doing this week? So, we are going to go through 1998's You've Come a Long Way, Baby by Fatboy Slim. And why? The Well, the reason for The Clash was this album and the previous week's one, Dig Your Own Hole by The Chemical Brothers, is essentially where dance music crossed over into massively into the mainstream and became popular even your mum knew some mm-hmm. songs off this album <laughs> well to come back to something that we have both criticized numerous times before when one of the songs of this album became the subject of a dreadful portentous slowed down piano based <sighs> cover version for an advertising campaign that tells you everything you need to know about uh, how accessible it became indeed very good. Um, however, before we start going through Fatboy Slim's breakthrough album, You've Come a Long Way, Baby, it is my pick for Video Killed the Radio Star. Yeah, an interesting one this week. Yeah, so I wanted to go with something uh, from a similar era. Well, same era. <laughs> um, so the track I've gone with is Rabbit in Your Headlights by Uncle. So it was the lead single from Uncle's debut album, so the one with DJ Shadow on it. It was released in July 97. Uh, the album was called Science Fiction. The track has got guest vocals by Tom York from Radiohead. So actually, it sort of follows on from my last pick for Video Club, the radio star. Well, I, I, first thing I want to, to do, actually, is read a quote from the director, Jonathan Glazer, who had also directed the video head to Karma Police by Radiohead mm-hmm. earlier the same year. So, he told IndieWire, I regard Karma Police as a complete failure because I decided to do a very minimalist, subjective use of camera and tried to do something hypnotic and dramatic from one perspective. It was very hard to achieve and I feel I didn't achieve it. But I feel like I achieved what I wanted to do in Karma Police when I did Uncle's Grab It In Your Headlights. It's definitely a partner to the Karma Police video, a couplet for me. I did the Uncle video because I felt I'd missed it emotionally and dramatically from a simple craft point of view. And if you've seen the video to Rabbit in Your Headlights, and we will obviously tweet out the link to it with this, you can certainly see thematically there is something of a link between that and Karma Police. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a dark hole video, this. It is a dark hole. So let me describe it for those who haven't seen it. So it shows a man played by French actor Denis Levant. He's walking down the middle of the road in a busy tunnel, He's wearing an almighty Parker jacket. Let's just say that for starters. Lovely. It is lovely. Very Mancunian. (laughs) (laughs) 
so he's babbling various incoherences as he's walking down the road, and he is repeatedly being hit by vehicles travelling at some considerable speed. The first time when it happens, and like I've seen this video before, but it hadn't been for a while, I think I actually exclaimed, fucking hell. <laughs> it is it is always shocking. So yeah, trigger warning perhaps, it, you know, it is one of those, oh fuck, type videos. So every time he gets hit, he gets back up and carries on his way. Then towards the end, the song breaks down to just the piano riff. If you've heard the song, you know that piano part. Uh, he takes off that Mighty Parker jacket and stands in a sort of, well... A Christ-like pose, yeah. Exactly. And a car travelling at speed ploughs into him from behind. In fact, a Vauxhall Cavalier Mark II. Not just any car. <laughs> ploughs into him from behind, but instead of him being knocked over, this time it's the car that gets completely destroyed and the video ends in a cloud of dust and debris. In 2021, Rolling Stone named it as the 28th best music video of all time. So I remember this video being banned by MTV in the UK because it was too graphic in terms of, of what it shows. And as you've just said, it is it is quite a, a, a shocking visual. I mean, it's really well done. I don't know I don't know how exactly it was done, mm-hmm. but it looks distressingly real. <laughs> Yeah, it's viscerally disturbing. Mm, it is, and, and it's it's a very unsettling song as well. Yeah, I think the 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 imagery works works well with the with the music. Really, it does absolutely. Couple of things, however. Firstly, why doesn't anybody stop to help him? A, the people that have hit him are literally committing a criminal offence by fucking driving <laughs> off. And B, no one coming either way. Stop because, are you right, mate? Are you okay? So, like, there's that. That's troubling. Uh, B, like, how many of the cars coming up behind him flash their headlights? He's got his fucking back to you, dickheads. You're behind him. He's not going to see your fucking headlights. You've literally got a horn. Use that, you fucking pricks. So, I assumed that it was something like the Blackwell Tunnel. So it's London. So, yeah. of course, they're not going to stop. <laughs> a very, very fair point. But, yeah, as I say, I, w- I wanted to do something uh, sort of within the theme and from the time. And, yeah, do something a little bit avant-garde, one might say. So that's what I picked. Yeah, and, I mean, what what we can also say, Tom York and Radiohead as a, as a whole are a band very committed to the visual medium. Yes, because they they like we've we've barely scratched the surface of the iconic and legendary videos that they've put together um, over the over yeah. the years. Their body of work is is massive in just videos. It is, and Jonathan Glazer's someone they've worked with quite a bit. So there's obviously Karma Police that, that we just mentioned, but also he did the video for Street Spirit, which was so innovative, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll talk about at some point. But um, yeah, so we'll tweet the link. But um, yeah, perhaps not one to watch with the kids. Yeah, just bear in mind that it's it's not the nicest video to watch. No, indeed. Uh, okay, shall we start talking about some Fatboy Slim? Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, over to you. So, You've Come a Long Way Baby is the second studio album by Fatboy Slim, who is the alter ego, the pseudonym for Norman Cook. 
first released on the 19th of October, 98, in the UK by Skint Records, who I've always enjoyed their name, particularly when they sponsored Brighton and uh, they played with Skint in fr- on the front of their shirts. And a day later in the US by Astral Works. So Cook recorded and produced the album at his home studio in Brighton, known as the House of Love. Uh, using an Atari ST computer. Get in! <laughs> creator software and floppy disks. <laughs> um, I cannot confirm whether he was put off completing it earlier by because he got stuck into Sensible World of Soccer. <laughs> or Operation Wolf. <laughs> I fucking love Operation Wolf. That's great. Yeah. I mean, the album was created using somewhat rudimentary equipment and the the... The accomplishments produced with that rudimentary equipment are, again, to give the game away somewhat mind-blowing. Yeah, absolutely. But I'll delve a little into into Norman's backstory. So he originally came to prominence as a member of the House Martins. Their bassist left on the eve of their first national tour, so Norman Cook agreed to move to fucking Hull from Brighton, which is quite the thing, really. Uh, Not close. (laughs) Yeah, to join them. And they soon had a hit single, the very well-known Happy Hour. And they, you know, they were a top 10 band in the UK album chart with, they had had two really successful albums. They reached number one just before Christmas with a version of Caravan of Love. And the you know the band was doing pretty well. However, as bands do, they split up in 1988, and Norman Cook moved back to Brighton to pursue his interest in the style of music that he preferred, and started working with engineer Simon Thornton, who subsequently has worked on all the things he's produced going mm-hmm. forward. And he's had a varied, a varied history. <laughs> so achieved his first solo hit in '89. Um, with the tune Blame It on the Baseline, which featured member of a future band, Beats International member MC Wildski. Great name. So he then forms Beats International, which is a loose collective of various musicians, and they have a number one single, which is a belter, Dub Be Good To Me. However, this song, uh, and this is going to be a motif throughout his career, <laughs> led to a legal dispute over allegations, not really allegations, of copyright infringement. Because the baseline is the guns of Brixton, like it just it is. Yeah, and the and the vocals are just be good to me. <laughs> yeah, so he lost the case and was ordered to pay back twice the royalties made on the record, which bankrupted him. <laughs> oh, poor Norman. He then they released a second album, didn't do well, failed to chart. So Norman then forms Freak Power. They released their debut album, contains the hugely successful single Turn On, Tune In, Cop Out, which was used as a song in a Levi's advert and presumably did all right for it on the money side because he was having trouble. <laughs> so yeah, it reached number three in the UK for off the back of that. Can we just say that is something of the left turn mm-hmm. from Beats International to Freak Power as is moving from the House Martins to Beats International. It's like, so as well as being the man of a thousand pop careers, they, they have been quite varied as well. Yeah, he's he's moved all over the place in terms of where he's come from. And that's reflected in his music and the samples that he, that he uses. Yeah. So he leaves Freak Power um, when they sort of fizzle out. 
he uh, releases a house music album with uh, two producer friends called Pizza Man. Uh, the 1995 album Pizza Mania mm-hmm. had three UK top 40 hits, Tripping on Sunshine, Sex on the Streets, and Happiness. And Happiness was used by the Del Monte Foods Corporation <laughs> for a fruit juice advert in the UK. It was indeed. So again, he he moves on from this, forms the group The Mighty Dubcats, and they start the boutique nightclub in Brighton, uh, which was formerly known as the Big Beat Boutique. Biggest song they had was Magic Carpet Rides, but once we get to 1996, he then adopts the name Fatboy Slim. Mm -hmm. And Norman Cook said of the name, it doesn't mean anything. I've told so many different lies over the years about it. I can't actually remember the truth. It's an oxymoron, a word that can't exist. Kind of suits me. It's goofy and ironic. Um, So he releases the album Better Living Through Chemistry. It's great. Contain the top 40 UK hit, Everyone Needs a 303. It's great. And then he begins work on what becomes You've Come a Long Way Baby. He, Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of things I want to talk about before we move on. So, as you said, Better Living Through Chemistry 96. So it was 98 that Fatboy Slim really exploded into the, certainly the national consciousness in the UK. And I'm talking before... This album came out. So in January of 1998, his remix of uh, Renegade Master by Wild Child reached number three in the UK charts. Belter. Absolute banger. Then in February, his remix of Corner Shop's Brimful of Asher went straight in at number one in the UK. Again, it's a, it's a rammer, to be honest with you. And I've, I, mean, I presume you've heard the original. Yes. Corner Shop were very fortunate that... Yes. Um, Norman Cook decided to sprinkle his uh, magic upon her. Very much so. Then in June, the Rockefeller Skank, which obviously we'll talk about shortly, that became his first top 10 single and reached number six. It also got to number 76 in the US. In October, about two or three weeks before the album comes out, Gangster Trippin' reached number three in the UK. So... 98, as the months go by, you know, the world is very much ready for Fatboy Slim and is very much waiting with anticipation to hear this album. Yeah, there's certainly a critical mass occurring um, where people were about it, about what he was bringing to the table. Absolutely. So uh, what I do want to, and I'm going to come back to this article quite a few times um, because he talks about track by track. Um, but in an interview uh, from 2020 with Music Radar, he said about his artistic vision for this album in particular, I wanted to take this music out of the nightclubs and onto the radio. So I took all those dance floor ingredients, but arranged them in a manner that the human brain would associate with pop music. That was one of the many things I learned by the time I got to this album. It was also the soundtrack of my life so far. The idea of what Big Beat was for me at that point was the sum collection of everything that's gone before into your head with no kind of agenda. Not, oh, I make rock and roll music or I make dance music. I grew up listening to the Beatles, then a bit of glam rock. Then I cut my teeth during punk rock. Then I got into hip hop, then acid house. Basically, it's all those influences without any kind of reverence of the rules or genre. Back then, I was like, what can I get away with? I tried to make pop records out of the wrong ingredients. As long as it had a catchy hook, a bit of repetition, and you could dance to it, you could get away with pretty much anything. I mean, it's a long quote, but it sums up pretty much everything we're going to talk about. I think he does himself a little disservice in that quote, though. 
he undersells what he achieves on this album that yes he does bring those disparate elements together and into a pop sensibility but that's fucking hard to do yes and to do that and to come up with songs that your mam knows that you know every everyone in the country will know a couple of songs off this album praise you's going on the playlist at most wedding discos in it nowadays yeah you know all all of these are known yeah absolutely but yeah, I just wanted to read that because I say I think it sets the scene for for what, a lot of what we're about to, to talk about. But that is everything I have on background. Okay, same same here. So, how did you first come across the album? I, I hate to sound like that guy again, but this is another one that I was on the ground floor for. To be honest with you, one of my mates from school he introduced me to Better Living Through Chemistry sometime in '97. So it wasn't as soon as that album came out, but it was sometime in '97, and. Uh, having got into that, I was banging to anything Skint was putting out. So, you know, Bentley with a Mace, Low Fidelity All-Stars. I'll have me some of that. Thank you very much. So by the time of Rockefeller Skank, I was already quite excited about new Fatboy Slim material. And I bought this album as soon as it came out. How about you? So I, I certainly didn't have the same background with Fatboy Slim. I'd heard, I'd sort of heard bits, obviously the single from Better Living Through Chemistry, but by the time the album comes out, because the the singles from this have been so huge that yeah, I was I was on board very soon after after the album came out because it they had become so well known very quickly. And again, it's not just the singles from this album; it's those remixes, and that's why I wanted to specifically mention those remixes because. You could think of it as very clever. You know, he's had an album which has had some success. You know, it was certified gold in the UK, Better Living Through Chemistry, but it was very much underground again, even more so than Exit Planet Dust, to go back to last week when talking about the Chemical Brothers. So he's had that. He's made a name for himself on that scene, but then he comes out with these remixes. So it's not, I mean, for want of of a less crude phrase, it's not his cock on the block so much, so to speak. But with the success of those remixes, by the time Rockefeller Skank comes out, everyone knows who Fatboy Slim is. You know, and then the album comes out towards the end of the year. Yeah, as I said, you could describe it as quite clever marketing. What I'll also say as well is that Fatboy Slim is one of the first artists that I can think of that benefited from the use of like real music in games. Yes. So obviously the Chemical Brothers remix of Everything Must Go that we've we've talked about. That that was Gran Turismo. And loads of songs off this album were used on on PlayStation games yes. in this period. And that helped because you became aware of the artist and it subsequently became a thing that who is the artist on the FIFA game? Who is mm-hmm. like they had a a variety of songs on that and it be, it became something where given the target audience of games particularly at this time they're the same people who are going to buy records so you are marketing yourself through that yeah. and Fatboy Slim definitely benefited from it as did the chemicals as well yeah I think you're, you're quite right there it was like you said taking advantage of this new medium or the advancements in technology that allowed you to get your art out to a different audience if you like definitely okay so should we do the cover because it's a cracker yeah take us through it 
So the title itself is derived from a marketing slogan for Virginia Slim cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> so the cover itself um, was conceived by Red Design, and it features a well, an obese young man dressed in a t-shirt bearing the words "I'm number one, so why try harder?" whilst uh, holding a cigarette in his left hand. The original photo was taken of the 1983 Fat People's Festival <laughs> in Danville, Virginia. <laughs> Firstly, who conceived of this concept of a Fat People's Festival? I know. And is it an annual event? <laughs> I have no idea. I have nothing more on the Fat People's Festival. And it was a photo in a stock library. Um, and despite a number of inquiries, the young fella has never been identified. No one knows who he is. So, yeah, there's a quote, which I'm sure you've got as well, but it's it's from Norman Cook in an interview with The Guardian back in 2013. He says, we still haven't ever found the fat kid from the cover of You've Come a Long Way, Baby. He's still never identified himself, despite me putting out appeals. I would actually like to give him some money. I mean, judging by the size of him and the fact, as you said, he's you know he's, he's got a fag on the go. Um, that's a cigarette, by the way, in, in, in English slang. <laughs> okay, this is not a horrible slur. Well, to be honest, like, if Fatboy Slim was offering him uh, money, you know, he might have needed it for medical bills. I was going to say, if he was still around in 1998, that is. <laughs> well, so this is another album where the cover that we know and has become so famous... It's not the one that our North American listeners would have seen if they bought the album at the time. Indeed. So in North America, the image was of shelves stacked with records, and it's a really boring cover. It is a really boring cover. Uh, So that image actually adorns the inner sleeve for anyone who purchased the album with the proper cover. Uh, And it was taken by Simon Thornton, who, who, as you said, is a long-term collaborator. But yeah, it's it is a it's another iconic album cover, isn't it? It is. And his best of album, which came out in two thousand six, two thousand seven, was called Why Try Harder. So you know, it's clearly something which has defined him to an extent. Yeah, definitely. And it, I would argue it wins the battle of the album covers. Hundred percent. It definitely does. It is the better. It's more recognisable, and it's another great logo. Yeah, he's he's got a cracking logo. I assume it's just his signature, but it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's instantly recognisable as Fatboy Slim. Yeah, and like you said, Skint Records logo is great as well. And when it was adorning Brighton shirts, suddenly indie boys and and fans of dance music wanted to own a Brighton and Hove Albion shirt. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, it is the best album cover of these two. Much as the Chemicals one is very stark, uh, it's not the best of these two albums. It's not even the best album cover the Chemicals ever did. No. All right, yeah, shall we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. So we open the album with right here right now i mean what a start to the album so it was the fourth single released from the album uh it was released in on the 19th of april 1999 and i mean fuck me we talked we talked last week about songs building anticipation i mean what a way to start an album and Mm -hmm. it absolutely builds that anticipation the string hook brings you in and the drums keep you there Absolutely. I said the same thing about building the anticipation. And I think it is very similar to the way Private Psychedelic Real does that. Like you said, we talked about that Mm -hmm. last week, although that's the closer, this is the opener. 
it's that same repetition of the riff, but the building of it with more and more elements coming in. You've got the symbols. You've got, yeah, it gets you to fever pitch again. And then you suddenly get a bit of a breakdown and then the fucking drums come in. It's like, go! There's a few tracks on this album that you could say are his signature tune. This is definitely one of them. Yeah, definitely. So, some facts, if I may. The string sample that you've mentioned is taken from the James Gang song Ashes, The Rain and I. The vocal sample is the voice of Angela Bassett. Indeed. Taken from the 1995 film Strange Days. Now, I've never seen Strange Days, but I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So, (laughs) it's directed by Catherine Bigelow. Written by James Cameron, it stars Angela Bassett, Rafe Fiennes, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore and Vincent D'Onofrio. Wikipedia describes it as a science fiction thriller which is set in the last two days of 99. It follows the story of a black marketeer of recordings that allows a user to experience the recorder's memories and physical sensations as he attempts to uncover the truth behind the murder of a prostitute. It has a 65% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm really intrigued. I want to see Strange Days. Yeah. Listeners, have any of you seen Strange Days? Is it any good? Because based on that, I really want to see it. Apart from the James Cameron involvement, I like, (laughs) yeah, there's lots of good elements in that, but I've never seen it. Anyway, sorry for that little aside. Can we talk video now? Yeah, the video, it it is, uh, it's a good video. video. Yeah. It's a fucking great video. So if you've not seen it, it's essentially shows the evolution from the primordial soup through to um, the fat guy from the album cover yeah and it's all done in three odd minutes because it's obviously an edit but it's brilliant it's it's a fantastic video yeah it is a really good video it is it's uh, videos is something we're gonna come back to on this oh yeah (laughs) so i just want to read to you what norman himself says about this song Uh, Again, it's that interview from Music Radar, sorry. He said, the original intention of this was to do something with an emotional weight. Then I saw a poll in one of the magazines talking about what the best dance tune ever was. They'd picked Unfinished Sympathy by Massive Attack, Banger, as we've also called out on Can't Get In My Head in the Past. Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck yeah, it's just better than all the others. It's just so emotional. What makes it emotional? I looked back at it, and what made it emotional was the strings. So I set out to make a strings tune. I just got a load of orchestra samples together, moved them into this enormous riff. I mean, you got two orchestra samples from the same song, but okay. But it's great, the way he's combined them. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, he's working with an Atari ST, you know. (laughs) And floppy disks. You know, getting all that into the one, you know, he's done well. Hasn't got much processing power. No. It is really good, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a belter. The thing is, as well, is that, you know, we've talked about how well-known and how ubiquitous these songs are. And do you know what? Listening, because I've not listened to this album for a while, but I've heard right here, right now, loads. And it still it still works. He's lost none of its impact, despite how often I've heard it in various different settings. Agreed. Uh, the end of the track is a clip of of a uh, radio talk phone-in show between Bradley J, who worked for, at the time, WBCN, Alternative Rock Radio in Boston, and a fat boy slim fan called Brad. Yes, it is real. 
It was not scripted. It was not recorded specifically for the album. It was a real clip from a real radio show. I did note that through my research. I'd always naturally assumed it was Spike Jones. <laughs> How tremendous is Fatboy Slim? <laughs> band of the 90s, if you want to call it a band, because it's a one-man name. <laughs> Check it out now. <laughs> I mean, would you do that? If some DJ said, I'll oh, sing the song that you want hearing. Nah, you're right, mate. I'm... No, fuck off. Just play the song. <laughs> do your fucking job, dickhead. Balance. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, and, and from Brad singing the song itself, we now have the Rockefeller Skank. So, yes, again, incredibly well known, this one. Lots of samples. So, the main um, main lyric sample is uh, taken from Lord Finesse on the track Vinyl Dogs Vibe, um, <laughs> which, cracking title. Also <laughs> uh, samples uh, Sliced Tomatoes by the Just Brothers, which was a, a Northern Soul banger. It is a banger. I Fought the Law by the Bobby Fuller Four, Beat Girl by John Barry and his orchestra, and Peter Gunn by The Art of Noise. And the... Drum part is taken from David Bowie's 1967 track, Join the Gang. I thought you would have noted the Bowie sample in particular. I have that down for a later one. It is also on a later track. Ah, that's that's why. Okay. So we talked earlier about Norman's issues with royalties. (laughs) Go on. It's happened again. So, apparently, to clear the samples, he had to release 100% of the track's royalties, 25% going to each artist. So he never he never received a penny for it. Yeah, that's, so it's, 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 it's not apparently, it's from him, from Norman himself. It, it, so in WordPress in 2007, he said, when you have to split it between, say, the Rockefeller Skank, there were four different samples on it. I mean, there weren't, there were five, we just listed them, but okay. Four different samples that we had to clear, and they all wanted 40% or 50%. And we were like, hold on, there's only 100% available. You can all have 25%, and there was none left for me. No, but I want to know which sample wasn't paid for. (laughs) I'm guessing the Bowie one. (laughs) Maybe paid for that on the later track. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the song itself, it's... A master at work. It is perfectly balanced. Mm-hmm. The samples are great. It's put together so well. It's great. It is. What I've said, and I, I mentioned this last week, and I'm going to mention it again a few times today. Okay, yeah, the entire track might be constructed from samples, but the way they've been put together, again, to create something much greater than the sum of its parts, is... It's alchemy, it's magic. It's all I can describe it as. It is it is a remarkable piece of pop music because exactly, exactly as I read that quote about his intention, this is it. This is where you can absolutely get it. This is an unconventional take on verse, chorus, verse, chorus, give it a good hook. Oh, God, I fucking love this tune. I just think it's magnificent. It is, you know... What you what you can also say about it is that you can see from the eclecticism in the samples as well. Yeah, is that this this is a this is a man with a a wide record collection, uh, a yeah. es- essentially a fucking database of <laughs> recorded music. Yeah. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And bear in mind, this is the late '90s, as we've already joked. He's working on a fucking Atari ST. This isn't. 
oh, just get onto YouTube or get onto Sound of Music and see what samples I can I can use. No, he's going through his records and going, what, that sounds good, that sounds good. Yep. The fucking attention to detail and patience that must take. To, and I'll go back again to right here, right now with the strings, what's the right string part to use? Okay, how do I... I've got that guitar part from Peter Gunn on this one. How do I mix that with sliced tomatoes and then bring in this Bowie drum sample? It's... it's I just cannot conceive of the mind that can create this. Yeah, as you say, alchemy. So put something like the Lord Finesse track with John Barry. <laughs> yeah, who thinks of that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I I also uh, really like the fact that even to this day he still ends all of his live shows with uh, this mixed with the satisfaction by the Stones. It's great. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, there's nothing really more to say about this. It's quite good. <laughs> it's a bit good. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to fucking in heaven. Renamed in heaven and illin in heaven on North American versions. Fucking illin in heaven. Piss off. In America. I know. <laughs> so I love the fucking guitar riff in this, which is sampled from Somebody Ought to Turn Your Head Around by the Crystal Mansion. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. And it's a nice, gentler track after such a cacophonous opening. Yeah, I like that. I think you're right, actually. It's well-placed. It's a pace change. We use that word every show, it seems, but this is it. As you said, it's well-placed. After that opening, it it allows you to catch your breath a little bit, but it's still got a really good groove that you want to move to. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of uh, the vocal sample, uh, well, it's not a sample so much. So again, this is Norman himself. That's Freddie Fresh on vocals. He's a, an American DJ you might be familiar with. He wanted me to do a remix, and he posted me a DAT tape, along with a recording explaining what he'd sent. He was like, Hi, Norm, it's Freddie here. Here's all the parts. Let me know if you can do this, because if I can have a remix by Fatboy Slim, I'd be fucking in heaven. And by the way, please don't play this to anyone. I don't normally do this. As soon as he said that, I was like, Right, let's plug the DAT into the sampler. <laughs> Again, the vocal Fatboy Slim is fucking in heaven just had a ring to it and as soon as I chopped it into bits and as soon as I started making a tune it was like that's the hook let's not bother having anything else fair play <laughs> I mean don't don't play this to anyone okay I'm gonna I'm gonna release it on the album <laughs> yeah, fuck you fat boy slim <laughs> freddy fresh is feeling betrayed somewhere what a prick <laughs> and then to say to end the song with that please don't play this to anyone i don't normally do this as well <laughs> oh god i mean this is playful. You could say it's a bit too knowing. It's a bit too, oh, if I put fuck 108 times in my song, then it'll get controversy. But I mean, I, yeah, okay. I, I, it'd be very easy. And I'm sure if it was, I'm going to say, I'm sure if this was an album that we were less fond of, we might be much more critical of this track for that. But uh, I like it, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So it doesn't annoy me. No, uh, and considering someone who it did annoy, uh, I'm glad that we are both of that opinion. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we move on to Gangster Trippin'. was the second single off the album, released on the 5th of October 1998. And so again, we come into some courtroom royalty battles. <laughs> so the uh, samples from uh, Beatbox Wash by the Dust Junkies 
Yeah, that's the first the vocal, isn't it? The what we do when the fat boys tripping. Yeah, so MC Tunes, again, great name. Yep. Won a three year court case in twenty thirteen to recover unpaid royalties. Wow, really? I did not know that. So I, I knew that, that the Dust Junkies get a songwriting credit on it. Yeah. Norman's <laughs> lost some money again. <laughs> so from that Music Radar interview, he says the vocal is off an MC Tunes record that had just come out. He name-checked me accidentally. I was like, I'll have some of that. He said, what we do when the fat boy's tripping? It seemed apt. I also sampled a DJ Shadow record. The West Coast scene was definitely in tune with what we were doing too, which was smashing up breakbeats the wrong way. Yeah, and it, you know, as well as the uh, DJ Shadow sample, it's got samples of You Did It by Anne Robinson. Not that one. <laughs> Um, also samples Barking Up the Wrong Tree by James Young and the House Wreckers for the um, hook and the riff. Yeah, and it's another track where I am just awestruck by taking these disparate elements from different tracks, the tiny little hooks and fills from different tracks and going, I can stick that in there and stick that in there. It's like, fuck. It... Yeah, I can't. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's magic. It's... Yes, the samples are perfectly used. It makes an amazing tune. Again, was really well-known, used everywhere. Mm-hmm. It also had a Roman Coppola-directed video, which features various furniture sets blowing up. According to MTV, the script for it simply said, blow stuff up. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yep, they did that. Slow motion blowing shit up. Yep, there you go. Great. Sounds. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Um... Again, the beat's huge. Again, the grooves just, they're insistent, they're incessant, they get in your head. Mm-hmm. It just makes me smile, this tune. Yeah, it's it's just really good. You know, we're four tunes in, it's all good, mm-hmm. all good. Mm. Indeed, it is all good. Uh, okay, um, should we move on? Yeah, so then we move on to fifth song on the album, Build It Up, Tear It Down. It was released as a as a single, the 15th of September 99, but I believe it was only a sort of promo single, so it wasn't a, an official kind of release. Yeah. So the drums, as uh, Tim mentioned before, are from Join the Gang by Bowie, from his debut album, David Bowie. Other samples are taken from The Acid Test by The Purple Fox, Tobacco Road by Eric Burden and War, Feeling So Good by The Archies, uh, Philly Dog by Ike Turner, which is something that he uses a lot in this album, mm-hmm. and with good reason. Yes. Uh, vocals are from Pretty Before I Go to Bed by Ray Vaughn. So, well, that's, that, that is the bounce vocal, is the Ray Vaughn sample. The Tobacco Road sample he mentioned, that's the main vocal in the chorus, where mm-hmm. he says, build it up, tear it down. I really like this. My notes on this. It's an overlooked belter. Yeah. It's such an exciting song. It builds so well. It sustains the excitement. It's great. And it's it's a song that's never talked about in his sort of canon no, it's not. of work. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a shame because it's a fucking belter. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've said something very similar. It starts out quite inauspiciously with that sort of little breakbeat rhythm. But, yeah, then as soon as that Ike Turner sample comes in, the, the sort of bassy brass part... And that fucking another huge beat. Again, uh, it's it's brilliant. It's it, combining these things together. It's it's remarkable. This has also got that signature Fatboy Slim breakdown and build up before the finale, mm-hmm. which you know is his is his calling yeah. card, so to speak. 
it is impossible to listen to these tunes and not to feel uplifted. Yeah, five songs in, everything's good. There's nothing bad going on here. So we've talked about albums that are deliberately constructed to recreate the experience of an ecstasy hit, for example. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case here, but it's no doubt, obviously, given what I read earlier about his intentions and and also his experience of DJing, there's no doubt whatsoever that this is music that is created to dance to. It's music for people who are on that euphoric high to really heighten that experience. Do you know what I mean? No, I understand that. I, I mean, I had a I had a different thought about it. That obviously he talked about that he wanted to make a pop album and he wanted to make it accessible. But I think I think what it cleverly does, and particularly in this section as well, is you've got people in with the with the pop songs, and then he try he tries something a little bit harder, mm-hmm. and then gives you something that you that's a bit poppy again to you know reset. Yeah, okay. And it's it's done in different it's done in different parts of the album. So you got the first two songs which are pure pop, like brings people in. Fucking in heaven is a is a bit harder. But then you get gangster tripping, which, you know, Mm -hmm. don't worry. Then you have the run of four here. So build it up, tear it down, California, soul surfing, and then you're not from Brighton. This is like, okay, I'm pushing you a little bit harder here. I'm going to try and get you into something that's a little, little more from my earlier stuff. I I understand where you're coming from there. Yeah, that's a very fair observation. Okay. Let's go on to California, which samples Planet Rock by Africa Bambata. And the Soul Sonic Force. Indeed. So I have two notes on this. My first one is a serious one. This is a bit more like the stuff off Better Than Living Through Chemistry. It has much more of a harder dance side to Definitely. it. Definitely. Second point, not necessarily as serious. The 16-year-old me was convinced that the lyrics to it were, Carol Smiley is a druggy, druggy, druggy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear, to our knowledge, Carol Smiley is not a druggy, 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 druggy. Yes, I have no information to com- confirm that. <laughs> Carol Smiley, as far as I'm aware, is a paragon of virtue. <laughs> but 16-year-old me was convinced it was Carol Smiley as a druggy, druggy, druggy. It does scan, though, to be fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so another one I want to read what Norman has said about this. He said, it's my nod to the West Coast American scene. As we'd been experimenting with the new melting pot, we came up with a whole load of West Coast artists who were obviously taking different drugs to the rest of them. So you ended up with the Crystal Method, the Bassman Twins, and tracks like High State of Consciousness by Josh Wink. Tune. A lot of their tunes were based on the Planet Rock beat, as is this one, as you've just mentioned, with an acid line on it. They called it tweaking. I was just celebrating my relationship with America. Um, I adore this tune. <laughs> I do, I do really like it. It's it's dead hooky. It gets you, it gets you early and keeps its hooks in you. It's it's great. And that squelchy acid tweak is fucking mm-hmm. brilliant. It's fucking. I I have always loved California. Yeah, it, that vocal hook, Carol Smiley is well, she is not a druggie. <laughs> <laughs> But it, you you want to belt it out as you're pogoing along to it on the dance floor, you know. It's mm-hmm. I think it's an absolute triumph. I I I I do know what you what you're saying actually about him trying to lure you into something a bit 
a bit heavier in terms of yeah his previous material actually it's a really good it's a really good observation that it's great i love it and as a sort of a little bit of a nod back to our previous clash the vocoded voice at the start is something of a homage to our good friends from dusseldorf well, yes, and indeed, on the 10th anniversary deluxe edition of the album, there is a cover of Radioactivity. There is indeed. It's not very good. Which is such a shame. It is. I'd love for, I'd love to say it's a great cover version. It's just not. It's, you know, it's... Uh, anyway. But there we go. So we then move on to Soul Surfing. Samples um, Saxon Studio Live. I'll do a little bit more by the Olympics, Funky Mule again by Ike, Ike Turner, and Watch Your Step by Giorgio Moroder. Yeah, so that's the guitar riff is the is the Moroder sample. Um, the Olympics is the, is the vocal samples. What a tune! Again, overlooked belter. It's brilliant. Oh, okay. I love it. I like. Is it a bit too stop start? Is the only thing I've said on this. It. Every time you start to get into the groove, it breaks down again. Is is there just a bit too much breakbeat in this? It never really settles on anything for any period of time. And that is a little bit of a problem for me. It's always been one where I've gone, just, Norm, just dial it back a little bit on this one. I I disagree. From that opening sample, like, and you've got, like, the, the horns and the whistles going... And then once that once that kicks in, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm absolutely gone. I'm having it. I think it's a belter. I like it. I just think it could be better. I do think this is one where his love for a breakbeat goes a little bit too far. I do, well, there's some more great acid tweaking, and I'm all about that. Yeah, I, I like it. I don't love it, I have to say. Fair enough. So we move on to, you're not from Brighton. <laughs> Apparently, you're from Halifax. <laughs> well, yeah. For when whenever I hear this, it sounds like a fella from Yorkshire saying, "You're not from Brighton." Well, apparently, if you're doing that voice, it sounds like fucking Alan Bennett saying, "You're not from Brighton." <laughs> <laughs> you're not from Brighton. Have you got any Battenberg cake? Mother, have you? Is have we lost the custard creams in Brighton? <laughs> American listeners are switching off at this point. <laughs> If we didn't get them last week with fucking Biker Grove. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, the Biker Grove chap, like, that's some of our best work. It definitely is. And it's, well, it will, by this time, it will already have been on social media, so there you go. <laughs> uh, Alan Bennett is a very northern English playwright. Okay, move on. Indeed. So, song itself samples uh, The Groovy Thang mm. uh, by Minimal Funk. Great name. Nobody's Business by Piece by Piece. Rump Shower um, by Reckon Effect. <laughs> Ain't Moving by uh, Johnny Guitar Watson. And You'll Like It Too by Funkadelic. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned the Funkadelic one last. So that is the drum sample. And the reason I'm glad you mentioned that one last is because you may realise, Kevin, that that is the same drum sample used in Liverpool FC's 1988 smash hit, The Anfield Rap. Indeed. The Red Machine is in full effect. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back to Norman. What does he say about you're not from Brighton? He says, no one is from Brighton. I've got about two friends who are actually from here. Brighton's a place you go to because you don't fit in where you live. 
This track started from a sample from a tune I used to play with a vocoder line in it that sounded like it said, you're not from Brighton. That's the minimal funk track that you just mentioned. It never said that, but we'd all sing it along to it. We re-recorded it so it said, you're not from Brighton. I thought it'd be funny. By that point, the skin empire was building up. People were taking note of Brighton. Before that, if you went anywhere and said Brighton, they'd either know Brighton Rock or Quadrophenia. Then, all of a sudden, people were going, oh, Skint Records. I felt like we were putting it on the map at the time. We were very pro-Brighton, and we wanted to make a tune about that. And for some reason, you got uh, Alan Bennett involved. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it. It's great. Don't like it. Oh, interesting. So, I think... Well, it speaks to what you said about leading you into uh, a bit more of what's going on in that scene rather than the, mm-hmm. the, the poppy stuff. I like it. It's not as bombastic as the two or three that have gone before, but it's welcomed, certainly as you head towards the track that's going to come mm-hmm. next. I like the way it slows down the beat at the end to segue into the next track. I have always liked You're Not From Brighton. I think the groove is, again, it's incessant. I think that little guitar sample it gets in your head, it stays there, and yeah, you can't stop but singing, you're not from Brighton, not like Alan Bennett, but <laughs> you're not from Brighton. I like it, always have, and uh, you're wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree with you, the, the change of pace is, it's welcomed. I just don't, I, I don't like it. I, I couldn't give you a constructed or clever argument as to why I don't like it. It just, it really leaves me, it's always left me cold. It's a skipper to me. We don't do skipping on Album Clash, Kevin. We don't do skipping, (laughs) but certainly when I was younger, I may have pressed the skip button a few times. Well, except that on last week's show, I literally said that one of my listeners through, I deliberately skipped one of the tracks. <laughs> but anyway, okay, I like it. And I, I, I also, I, I also, I, I get stuck in my head to check, baby, check, baby, check, one, two. I like that as well, you know, anyway. <laughs> but I prefer the track that I think we're about to go and talk about. Yeah. So we shall move on to the absolute juggernaut, which is Praise You. So the main lyric is taken from Take Your Praise by Camille Yarbrough. Which is a funky as fuck tune, by the way. It very much is. It also features a guitar sample from It's a Small World (laughs) from the Mickey Mouse disco album. (laughs) Yeah, so this is where my Can't Get You Out of My Head shell from last week comes in. Yes. So I listened to the whole of that track so it's the wah-wah guitar sample, as you said. And I, I, so I hate it, but it also might now be my favourite piece of music of all time because it's fucking a disco funk version of It's a Small World. It's fucking brilliant. I really want to check it out because <laughs> it's it's one of those things, like when doing the research, just seeing the Mickey Mouse disco album. <laughs> what the fuck? That's like when you first hear the um, disco version of the Star Wars tune. <laughs> You're like, what is going on here? Sorry, but the disco version of the Star Wars tune is fucking brilliant. <laughs> as is the disco version of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony as well, can we just say? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that Tim was such a big disco fan? <laughs> Kev! Listen to it just more. I mean, warning, it will get fucking stuck in your head forever. But it's also a banger. 
<laughs> I'm really conflicted. I hate it, but I can't get enough of it. It's it's like crack. So I've heard. <laughs> Do you lose your teeth by listening to this? <laughs> Only if it gets stuck in your head so much that you want to inflict pain on yourself. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, okay, so this song has a slightly well-known video. <laughs> yeah. Directed by Spike Jones, who stars in the video. Can I just interject for one second? Directed by Spike Jones and Roman Coppola, whom I did not know Indeed. was involved until I researched for this show. So yeah, he um, was directing the cameras when while well, Spike was performing. So Spike Jones stars alongside the fictional Torrance Community Dance Group. And it is the first instance certainly in my in my knowledge of a flash mob. of a sort of flash yep. mob yeah yep. and it's um shot guerrilla style outside of the fox Brune uh theater in westwood la and yeah the theater staff were not aware <laughs> that this was a music video because there's a fellow working there who does not take well I mean, like the first time you saw this video I mean, the first time I saw this video, anyway, I was like, what the fuck is this? Because, <laughs> like, obviously, when when it came out, it was, it was like, sort of 98. So you, you're, watching, you're watching the videos, like, has something happened to our, to our sky? <laughs> it's like someone hacked it. We appear to be watching public access telly from America. <laughs> The resolution is so low rent. (laughs) Apparently, the whole thing only cost $800 to shoot. And I mean, you can tell. But it is brilliant. It's genius. And Norman himself makes a cameo appearance. In fact, he fucking spikes the camera. looks directly down the the camera, doesn't he? As he walks across the the shot. Um, It won three VMAs, but not best video. What the fuck won best video in 1999? No idea. So apparently, the reason that Spike Jones got the commission was he'd sent in a, or certainly pitched to do the video for the Rockefeller Skank, and he he was unsuccessful. And Norman Cook doesn't like the version of the video for the Rockefeller Skank, so he said, "Spike, you can do praise you and do what you want with it," and he did very much so. Absolutely. Well, so so I mean, we didn't talk about the Rockefeller Skank video. It's a bit too glitzy. So it's a bit. He's he's dressed in like a gold lame jacket and a massive cowboy hat at the decks. It just I don't know. It doesn't fit with his style at all. Well, if, I don't know if you if you ever saw the video to Everybody Needs a Three O Three, in which he appears at the end with the words "I hate videos" written on his head in a fucking sharpie. <laughs> well, he's he's in the video for Gangster Tripping right at the end as a picture above a fireplace that then subsequently blows up. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, it's a great video and it's arguably as famous as the song itself. Yeah. And so the the song itself, because we've got to talk about it eventually. (laughs) It's brilliant. It is brilliant. And it's so hooky. Mm -hmm. The vocal sample is brilliant. It kind of has like a gospel inflection to the song, particularly towards the end. There's so many people who know this song, not just because of the video, but because it's a brilliant piece of 
pop music. And the fucking terrible, shitty, slowed-down cover version that adorns the fucking Lloyds Bank adverts. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> um, so there's a couple more samples that I want to I want to talk about. The piano part is uh, from the track Balance and Rehearsal from a test album entitled Sessions from the JBL Sound Corporation. The riff in the bridge, where it breaks down, the organ part there is from Steve Miliband's Lucky Man. And, uh, so as well as It's a Small World, <laughs> there is a... <laughs> sorry. There is a sample from the theme tune to American cartoon show Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. <laughs> Which, fair enough. Um, it's, um, again... I'm awestruck by combining those things into this tune. Yeah. So quite rightly, Camille Yarbra gets a songwriting credit on the track. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned right here, right now is one of his signature tunes, as is Rockefeller Skank, as is this. I would argue this is the track that made him a star, to be honest with you. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. So it went straight in at number one in the UK. And it reached number 36 in the US. It also got to number one in Iceland, number four in Canada, and number six in Ireland. It just all comes together brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Try and listen to this while sitting perfectly still. I don't <laughs> think it's possible. No, it isn't. It's just such a brilliantly crafted pop song. Yep. This is this is a song that, as Sim said earlier, you wouldn't be shocked for it to be on a, wed- a wedding disco. Mm-hmm. So yeah, last night when we were chatting, we came up with this concept of a break glass banger, which is a tune that's an absolute banger, but is accessible to a wider audience. And this tune definitely fits fits the bill yep. because everyone from your gran to your little cousin or whoever can get on board with this song, will know it, and it's a belter. Yeah, I think great break glass bangers is such an opposite term for this. Because whether it's the wedding disco or the indie disco or in the club, whatever it is, if the dance floor's starting to empty a little bit, if you feel the atmosphere just dropping a little bit, you fucking stick this on. Emergency break glass, get it on, and every fucker's up dancing again. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so a a great term. And uh, yeah, something I think we will be coming back to. I think it's fucking great, this. uh, And I can't really say anything more constructive. (laughs) Okay, so we now move on to the 10th song on the album, Love Island. Uh, the song itself has nothing to do with the ITV Rutterthon. <laughs> I mean, wow, as evocative words go that are right from the gutter, that <laughs> Rutterthon, mm-hmm. fucking hell. Ugh. I've never seen Love Island, but what I'm, what I'm led to believe is it's basically the British population watching um, people with various levels of tans trying to have an infranglement. I'm in the same position, so I've got nothing to add to this. I just think the word rutathon is... <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's up there with gusset. So all I'm saying... <laughs> right, move on. Let's not talk about that anymore. Okay. The song itself, it samples uh, from the previous album, Song for Lindy. Mm. The opener from Better Than Do Chemistry. Yeah, it takes the bass from that. And that gives me a little bit of a problem with this. I, I quite like this tune, all right? I think the sort of ethereal synth and string part that started off and that comes in at various points, I like that, it's nice. 
again, it's got a decent stomp along beat. But be very careful when you sample your own tune, Norman, because you've got to make it better than the one you've sampled, and he doesn't. I much prefer a song for Lindy to this, and that's a problem for me, I'm afraid. It's a perfectly good song, but I know exactly what you're saying. It belts along. It's the strings that are taken from Robert Ascott's uh, Contempo strings uh, for the riff are, are nice. You know, it's it's perfectly good. But I think you're right that it, it's a bit self-referential mm-hmm. to sample yourself. Yep. And if you're going to do that, improve upon it. And yep. yeah, I don't I don't think he does. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. When you hear that boop 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 boop. Boop, 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 boop. And it puts you in mind of a better song. That's not great. I, I just want to read uh, what Norman said about the song itself. Well, it's, it's about Ibiza, basically. He said, I was resident at a club called Manumission in Ibiza. Surely everyone's heard of Manumission by now. We called Ibiza Love Island. They were making a film about Manumission. And I asked if I'd make a track for it. I liked it so much, and it didn't look like that film was going to get made anytime soon. So I said, do you mind if I do another version and put it on my album? And they were cool with that. It was my love letter to Ibiza and to Manumission and all the crazy inspiration I got from the people that ran and frequented that place. I have nothing nothing really more to add to that. Nope. Okay, so we will move on to the last song on the album, Acid 8000, which is not a drug-dispensing robot. <laughs> so it samples Booty Mover by DJ Dion and Beat 27 by Sonic Foundry. Yeah, so the, the DJ Dion sample is, uh, if this don't make your booty move, your booty must be dead, which is the, the vocal hook that goes throughout. It's such a great line, though. It is. And, you know, I, I think I think it is clever the way that he has left these two much more sort of Ibiza dance club inflected songs towards the end. You've redrawn the indie boys back in with Praise You, and then they've, he's given you something a little harder to end the album. And I, I really like this. I think it's a... So I'd completely forgotten about this song, but I think it's a belter. So before I state my opinion on the song, I would like to, again, read what Norman has to say about it himself. He said, This track reminded me of the last track on Abbey Road, The End, that big long outro. Acid 8000 became that long rolling outro. It was me being self-indulgent. I put enough pop singles on the album exactly what you said, so I could have a moment going off on the 303. I just wanted to do an Acid House breakbeat tune, exactly as you said. I loved Acid House breakbeat tunes. When I did 303 passes, I'd do them when I had my friends around. Sometimes I might have been a little high, and my friends would notice that I'd make a sort of lead guitarist face. We've all done that face, let's be honest with you. (laughs) Yep, Acid 8000 was a nod to my self-indulgent guitar solo moments. A great way to end the album. Is fucking right, Norman. It is fucking glorious. I love it. In all its acid tweaking, huge beating, build it up, tear it downing, going out of my minding majesty, it is ace. I um, noted that there's elements of this that remind me of, and we you referenced it earlier, Josh Wink's Higher State of Consciousness. Yep. It's great for a track that's near seven and a half minutes long. I'm with it almost up until the end. Oh, come on. You don't. So I fucking love the fucking wailing siren at the end. It's because it's proper end of the club night. The lights come on. It's still going, but fuck off home. It is, but it goes on for about a minute. So you lose 30 seconds of that sound. Uh, Fridge. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love it. It's great. I think it's a belt. You're, you're, you're absolutely right what you say and, and what he said. I've given you enough pop songs now. This is what I'm fucking about. And actually, if you go and see his live shows, they are very, very beat heavy. He'll play, intersperse the, the, the greatest hits, so to speak, within there. But it's very, very beat heavy. And I think this tune tells you what Fatboy Slim's really all about. Well, both the artists that we talked about, these are people who've come up through club nights. And so their songs are perfectly balanced pieces to bring a crowd up, bring them down. Like they know how to how to craft a song, a set, in order to get the right peaks and troughs going. And that's, that's what both of these do brilliantly. Yeah, agreed entirely. And I think that is what Acid 8000 does on this album. Yeah. Okay. Shall we hear what some people said about this album? Yes, please, Kevin. So generally received almost universal uh, critical acclaim. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. So friend of the show, well, not really friend of the show, just someone that we're really positive about, Stephen Thomas Erlewine in all music. Again, absolutely nails it. So I do have a long quote. It might not have been as startlingly fresh as the Chemical Brothers, but the hard-hitting beats and catchiness, not to mention the consistency of better living through chemistry, was a shock. It raised expectations for Fatboy Slim's second album. And that record itself was something of a surprise, since it not only exceeded the expectations set by the debut, but came damn close to being the definitive Big Beat album, rivaling the Chemical's second record. The difference is, Cook is a record geek with extensive knowledge and eclectic taste. His juxtapositions, the album swings from hip-hop to reggae to jangle pop, and then all combine into one sound, are wildly original, even if the music itself doesn't break through the confines of big beat. Then again, when a record is this forceful and catchy, it doesn't need to break new stylistic grounds. The pleasure is hearing a master work, and there's no question that Cook is a master of sorts. A seamless record filled with great imagination, unexpected twists and turns, huge hooks and great beats. Excellent. Um, I also have Tim Perry from The Independent, so a contemporary review. Described the album as it's going to be one of the biggest albums of the year, and rightly so, as it incorporates an amazing vision and variety of musical sentiments in throwing everything from rock guitars and acid bleeps to piano over the grooves. Great stuff. There's one more contemporary review I want to read. Well, there's two, but you know who the <laughs> the second one is. <laughs> David Roberts in Q wrote, with his second Fatboy Slim album, Big Beats Boy Wonder is aiming to make the honeymoon last as long and remain as much fun as possible. Anybody familiar with the currently all-pervasive genre that the Chemical Brothers first made fashionable will recognise the formula to be followed here. Big Beat is dance music making the indie crossover at its most accessible point. Bolshy, stomping, squelching stuff that you either shuffle your feet to, wave your arms in the air, or simply pogo up and down on the spot to, depending on the mood and mix it all up mayhem being created. It's simple, unsubtle, sore away stuff with a sell-by date that probably won't be difficult to read for much longer. But right about now, it works. So, whilst I largely agree with the sentiment, I think that is an unnecessarily reductive review. I agree. And, well, obviously history has proven very wrong on the last point about the, the sell-by date. Yeah, but anyway. Well, exactly. exactly. It's Again, what that speaks to is the sniffiness mm-hmm. that, you know, particularly rock critics had around dance music, that they, they still hadn't got it by this point. And... <laughs> 
You have perfectly allowed me to segue into our next reviewer. And as I've said in the past, we usually read the review from Rolling Stone as it is a very much revered and noteworthy publication. For this album, the Rolling Stone review was written by Kevin. Well, it wasn't written by Kevin. It was written by his nobbiness himself, Robert Crisco. <laughs> it was, and it was fucking long. <laughs> so I'm just going to read a couple of passages. <laughs> <clears throat> The ascendancy of Norman Cook, in the guise of Fatboy Slim, has to amuse anyone for whom techno's countless variants constitute one corner of the musical universe rather than a brave new world. The House Martins bassist turned DJing mixmaster has been collaging up silly pop songs since Beats International's excellent 1990 album Let Them Eat Bingo. The way the dance world's big beat partisans cheer him though, you'd think he'd just invented the musical sucker punch all by himself. On You've Come a Long Way, Baby, Cook makes the hooks as blatant as a dance world denizen can. He stoops to vocals. After opening with the cheeky Wu-Tang light of Right Here, Right Now, he keys his super catchy single of the year candidate, the Rockefeller Skank, to the wrapped Right About Now, the Funk Soul Brother. And while there's no way to improve on that instant classic, the way In Heaven repeats the word fucking 108 times is more than pretty damn good. It's a world historic gimmick. But when he keys the next track, Gangster Tripping, to fuck we're doing when the fat boy's tripping, except that fuck is actually a slightly tweaked what, and is, moreover, utilised a mere 101 times, you suspect that maybe Cook is losing his nerve. And indeed, California's druggy reads like another great hook, but it's only pretty darned good. Okay, I actually feel sorry for him here, because not only does he not know how samples work, he can't even fucking hear them properly. <laughs> I mean, I'm just disappointed he didn't come up with Carol Smiley. <laughs> it's time for bed, old man. Go away. I mean, that's <laughs> not that I'm putting him out to pasture. He's a rich source of entertainment for us. Well, here's for Kevin and I, and that's all that matters. So if you hate this feature, then fucking skip forward. I don't care. <laughs> We're still going to keep referring to him because he remains an insufferable prick. Should we do some legacy then? So this really established Fatboy Slim in the firmament. You know, he became a global star from this. He then subsequently released his third album, Halfway Between the Gutter and the Stars, had Christopher Walken dancing in one of his videos. Another Spike Jones joint. Indeed. You know, and I I suppose that's his peak when that album is released, really. He's, He's reached the highest point of his cultural cachet. Uh, it's certainly global cachet anyway. So I would I like Halfway Between the Gutter and the Stars. I think it's a really good album. Yeah, and I know what you mean. He, at that point, exactly right. That was his peak of, of his popularity, of his fame, if you like. Palookaville in 2004. It was all right, you know. And Palookaville was his last original album that he, he released as Fatboy Slim. There have been various sort of singles that he's released from previous times. And he has, like, so went off to do some work as the Brighton Port Authority as a collaboration with David Byrne and Dizzy Rascal. Huh, there you go. Yeah. He returned as Fatboy Slim and performed Rockefeller Skank and Right Here, Right Now at the 2012 Olympics closing ceremony. And you know he's continued to perform over over the years, but he's he's not released a an album of work since Palookaville. I think he doesn't need to, 
by now, I think he is able to sustain his name and his reputation on his touring. As I said, I saw him a couple of months ago. It was fucking brilliant. I loved it. And I think that's back to what he has loved doing for a long time, even before Fatboy Slim was a thing, really. No, and like it's it's certainly not a criticism. It's 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 maybe a slight disappointment for for us that he's not released released an album. But do you know what? Like as you say, for for someone like Norman Cook, and he's still getting to produce his music in the way that he wants, the most creative way. Because obviously, a live set, a live set is far better than anything done in a studio because it's of a piece. It's it's live and of that of that time. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I think that's that's really really well put. I suppose the the wider the wider legacy of this album is it. Well, it established the concept of the superstar DJ. Exactly that. That's exactly what I've written. You mentioned the term last week. This, yeah. You had the likes of Carl Cox, the likes of uh, It's All Gone, Pete Tonk, and uh, Judge (laughs) Julian, um, uh, who were bubbling under sounds harsh. They were big names, but they were big names in... Well, I mean, Pete Pete Tonk had like a a weekly radio programme. So, you know, they, they weren't unknown. They were well-known within that scene, okay? Fatboy Slim made DJs for, I would say, a period of four or five years at least, perhaps even until the Arctic Monkeys came along. DJs were cooler than rock stars. DJs were the cool thing that everyone would be associated with. To me, this is the straw that brought the camel's back. This is the one that absolutely made dance music the zeitgeist thing with which everyone wanted to associate themselves. It made it made it mainstream, mm. and you know, like as as we talked about last week, it's a confluence of things coming together. So the Ibiza holiday, all these things, you know, like obviously he's referenced manumission and stuff. It, it's becoming at this point the predominant youth culture. Yeah, the straw that broke the camel's back. Fatboy Slim is another one of those artists, exactly as you said right at the start of last week's show, that made the indie boys get up and dance. You wouldn't be surprised to be in an indie disco and the Rockefeller skunk comes on. Absolutely. And that says a lot to me about the legacy of this album. So, best song, worst song. All right, I'm going to do my worst first. It's Love Island. And there's two reasons for that. The first one, which I mentioned at the time, is that it is not as good as the song that it samples. The second reason is that it's sandwiched between two absolute belters for which it suffers. And so that is my worst song. My best song. It would be obvious and entirely justified, I have to say, to pick either Rockefeller Skank or Praise You. All right here, right now, actually. Because they're all classics in their own right. And as I said, I think Acid 8000 is a fantastic way to end an album like this. Brilliant. I love it. But I'm going California. I love it. I've always loved California. It's catchy. It's fun. It's got a great groove. The samples are fantastic. Yeah, California is great. And that's my favorite track. Okay. So for me, worst song is the Alan Bennett inspired (laughs) You're Not From Brighton. (laughs) Okay. And yeah, obviously I've um, discussed fairly at length why I wasn't a fan of that. Um, Toughy. So I also want to give a shout out to Build It Up, Tear It Down, because it's also a belter. You're not a fan of it, I really like soul surfing, 
But I would say that the opening track is just a phenomenal start to the album. I mean, there's so much good that's on here, but every time I hear it, it's still an exciting piece of music. And to do that after 20-odd years, fair play. So, yeah, it's right here, right now for me. Yeah, a very fair choice. California is a very personal one for me. Just, I just, I've always loved it. It's always resonated with me. So, you know. And you're a huge fan of uh, Carol Smiley's work. <laughs> Love a bit of changing rooms. Good choices. Okay. Um, we should probably get to scoring then. Let's do it. So, it's your pick. So, you go first on Dig Your Own Hole and second on You've Come a Long Way, Baby. So, Dig Your Own Hole. It's got some absolute classics. The start of the album is is really strong. You know, you've got two or three tracks there that stand up against anything that they've ever done. I think you're right in your point about Setting Sun that it kind of doesn't really fit in there. It's a really strong album. It's not their best because I agree with you totally that Surrender is their best piece of work but it also has arguably their greatest piece of work, which is the last track on it. So it's a real hard one to score this. It's not perfect, but it does have private psychedelic reels, so eight and a half. Okay. Uh, You've said pretty much everything I was going to say. I'm doing this off the top of my head because I'm less prepared than usual. I've not written anything down, so it's brilliant. It starts off with an all-time classic and then over the next two songs certainly takes you even higher, you know, to the breaking point almost. Yeah, you said it about Setting Sun, I said it last week. I, I, it's a real paradox that I think the track itself is fucking brilliant. I just think it's a bit too monolithic, certainly for where it is in the album. It isn't perfect. The structure could be better, let me just say that. And they have done better work since. But yes, it's got the private psychedelic reel on it, which genuinely for me, other than Tomorrow Never Knows, is just it. It's the pinnacle, as far as I'm concerned. It's glorious. That is, you said about right here, right now, that is one for me. Every time I hear it, I get chills. I think eight and a half is a very fair score, actually. It's not perfect. They've done better work, but it's got some absolute all-time classics on there. Eight and a half out of ten for me as well, which means it gets 17. Yeah, that's right. All right, so... You've come a long way, baby. Yeah, I have come a long way, baby. And uh, I need to tell you what I think of that album. It's fun. That's the main thing I can say. It's so much fun from start to finish. And even though there's a track on there, well, there's a couple of tracks on there that I'm not hugely fond of. I don't dislike any of them. But it's just fun throughout. Every track's got something in there that gets its teeth stuck into you and, and, and has you moving. It perfectly recreates the feelings of being in a club with the beats dropping and building the anticipation, just as the Chemical Brothers album does. And at the same time, crafts what, as we've both said, are some perfectly pitched pop songs. And it does that through taking disparate elements of different songs and putting them together in something that is so cohesive and so accomplished that I can't even conceive of the mind that would think to do that. I'm really surprised at the way I'm going on this, because when you announced The Clash, I thought there's only one winner, 
And I don't know where you're going, but I'm giving Fat Boy Slim's You've Come a Long Way Baby 9 out of 10. To me, it is the better of the two albums. I listened to both of them back to back today, and I had more fun listening to this one. So it's a 9 out of 10 for me. Ooh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think describing it as a fun album is a really nice and simple way to describe this album. I think that it is fun. It's eclectic. It's hooky as fuck. I don't think that would be on, on any quote. <laughs> hooky as fuck, five stars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's there's so many brilliant, disparate elements. You've got some hard dance in there. You've got some absolute pop classics in there. He, he's done a phenomenal job with it. It isn't perfect, so it's not a 10. It's in a nine. I don't think it's a nine. So I'm going to go eight and a half with it. I think it's as good as the Cam's album. Maybe if he hadn't uh, roped in Alan Bennett, then maybe I would have scored it a little higher. But it's brilliant. You know, it's brilliant. And it brought so many people to dance music. So you can't, you can't argue about it. Wow. So it's half a point, 17 and a half to 17. I was genuinely anxious then. You know, my heart rate was going. Oof. Wasn't sure. Like, so I never, I never write it down. I always go with just the vibes. I never write my score down anyway. As I said, when you announced this a couple of weeks ago, I was, there's only one winner, but um, I was wrong because the other one has won and rightfully so. Very much so. So yeah, Fatboy Slim, Norman Cook, you have one album clash. I'm so sorry to the Chemical Brothers. Not that they're ever going to listen to this, nor care if they did. We, we love, we love both artists. We do love both artists. And as I said, the Chemical Brothers are probably my favourite act, full stop. But taking these two albums individually, you know, by a, a fucking Rizzler paper, it's Fatboy Slim. If I decided to do Surrender versus this, Surrender wins. Oh, 100%. But yeah, like I knew, I knew it was going to be close. Mm. Okay, brilliant. I, was, I had an awful lot of fun then. Thank you very much. A great choice. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so, where are we going next? My choice it is. Hmm, he said, he said in a Yoda voice. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I'm taking us back in time again. I'm going into the 80s, though, now. We're not doing back to the 70s. We're going into the 80s. And I think for the first time, well, I suppose you could say we did it when we did Lou Reed versus Iggy Pop, but this is more directly. For the first time, we are going to go through two albums on which one artist is not a, not only features, but is instrumental on both of them, actually. Uh, and that's because I want to celebrate the works of someone who, for me, is one of the pioneers, certainly of British electronic music through the 80s. And that is Vince Clark, who, much like Fatboy Slim, actually, has had many, many different faces and many, many different acts that he has been a part of. Okay, so first up next week, I am going to lead us through the debut album from 1981 by Depeche Mode, Speak and Spell. Ooh. And then the following week, Kevin, I would like you to take us through from the following year, 1982, the debut album by Yazoo, Upstairs at Eric's. I'm really pleased that you picked that. That's a really good class. Yeah, I love Vince Clark. So to me, it's right that we pick two of the acts with which he is uh, associated to go up against each other. And those two seem like the best fits to me. So yeah, 
Depeche Mode versus Yazoo is where we are going next. Boss. All right. Uh, before then, though, Kev, it's your time to tell people how they may keep in touch with the show. So, I mean, I think it's possibly unlikely, but you may follow us and follow Joe Rogan on Twitter. <laughs> yes! And if you follow Joe Rogan, you might find out that he's discovered what cooking is like. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, that that whole thing, like, oh, this, the smell of meat, like, yeah, you're literally just describing what cooking's <laughs> like, mate. Fucking love it. <laughs> maybe, you've, maybe you've had too much Invermectin. <laughs> Quite so. Fucking Bellend, I can't stand him. <laughs> Me neither, he's a prick. Yeah. Anyway, if they are across Joe Rogan's culinary tips, what else can they do on Twitter? Yes, so if you do follow us and Joe Rogan, I mean, I'm quite surprised that you're listening to us, but... <laughs> they won't be after this. <laughs> nope. You can check us out on our Twitter, at Clash Album. If you um, like carefully curated quality content, you can go to our Insta, at Clash Album, where we're no longer being blocked by the lizards. <laughs> or you can uh, be resolutely old school and send us an email to albumclash at gmail.com. Great stuff. As I always say, get in touch with us, uh, subscribe to the show, tell your mates about it, leave a rating, leave a review, all that stuff. Just a reminder of your homework for next week, you need to listen to Depeche Mode's debut album, Speak and Spell. And for the following week, you need to listen to Upstairs at Eric's by Yazoo. Until then, however, I, as usual, have been Timothy. And I am still Ken. Cheers, guys. Take care. We'll see you next time. Ta-da. Ta-da.